Amen. Again, glad you're here tonight. We're going to jump back in our study. I want to, want to start off really kind of with just an overview of what we're doing, a reminder of what we're doing. In our study, the grand scheme of things, we're starting in Genesis, and we're going to move all the way to the book of Revelation. I think it's going to take us about two years. We're going to try to move along at a pretty good clip, but we're starting in Genesis, working our way to Revelation. We are looking at God's revelation of himself to us. That's what the scripture is. His revelation of his dealings with people. What, what, are, what, what is our issue as people? What do we need as people? How does God interact with us as people? And his plan for our redemption. Really that's what the Bible is. Uh, what we know of God, what we know about his interaction with us, what we know about salvation, uh, he himself is telling us in his word. Now that's a big thing. That's an important uh, thing for us to understand. In God's word, he is telling us about himself. He's revealing himself to us. He's telling us his plan for redemption, our salvation through his word. Uh, I've been noticing, and maybe you have as well, today there is a movement um, that seems to flare up at certain times. It seems to have flare, uh, flared up again to see the Old Testament as of lesser importance during the church age. And so the age we're living in right now, maybe to see it as a lower value right now. And those folks would say, we ought to be aware of the Old Testament, but our effort, our study, and our focus in the church age should be on the New Testament. There's actually several books talking about that, several pastors that are talking about that. Uh, the truth is, that's not true at all. The truth is, really, it is one giant account. And really, it ought not be separated. In fact, I will tell you, our understanding of the New Testament is infinitely better, uh, the better grasp we have on the Old Testament. So we understand the promised Messiah better if we understand the Old Testament. The Lamb of God better if we understand the Old Testament. The need for a sacrifice that saves is, is uh, again, better if we understand the Old Testament. So it's not just... Uh, a section that we can set aside, the Old Testament, it is actually one story, one account leading us to the truth of our Savior of Jesus Christ. One of the questions being answered all the way through Scripture, starting in Genesis, working to Revelation, one of the questions being answered uh, as we learn of God, as we grow in our understanding of God, is the question, is God trustworthy? And that's a big question. Is God trustworthy? Uh, not in just theory, but, it, but in, in practice, practically in our life, is God trustworthy? Can we rely on God? Can we trust Him? Uh, to what extent can we trust Him? And that's, that's a big thing. Uh, can we trust Him with our homes? Can we trust Him with our health? Can we trust Him with something as big as salvation? And so all the way starting from Genesis, traveling across Scripture, it is confirming and answering can we trust God? Is God trustworthy? And to what extent can we trust God? Well, the accounts we are going through, and we really have just gotten started good, but we've already covered a whole lot of stuff. The accounts we are going through are building the case that we can trust God. And so you read some of these accounts and go, man, that's strange, that's odd. What's that there for? Well, it's confirming to us and teaching us we can trust God. You can always trust God. At all times, you can trust God. In all things, all situations, you can trust God. When you can't see what he's doing, you can trust God. When you can't understand what it is he's doing, you can trust God. 
Here's one. If you're suffering, uh, you can trust God. Sometimes we think suffering maybe changes a little bit. And so if we're suffering, that's something uh, that doesn't make sense. Well, listen, even if it's hard, even if things are tough, even if there's suffering involved, we can trust God. And so that's what we're seeing in these accounts. God is trustworthy. He's able to be trusted. He's trustworthy in all things and in all situations. We can trust God. Well, tonight we go back to our story. We go back to our account. Now, I'm going to move very quickly to get us uh, to the section we're going to look at tonight. Uh, in, our, in our section tonight, God makes a promise to Abraham. He makes a promise to Abraham, Genesis chapter 15, that through him all people, all nations will be blessed. It is the promise of a Messiah, of our Savior. He promises that from Abraham there is going to be a nation, a people, and that that nation, that people will have a land, the promised land. And so he makes the promise to Abraham, you will have a land, from you will be a people, out of that people, and from that land there's going to be a Savior, the promised Messiah. Well, moving very quickly, Abraham has the son of promise, Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. We spent some time talking about that. His name is changed to Israel. Israel has 12 sons. One of those sons is named Joseph. Now, we've spent the previous two weeks talking about Joseph. There's actually quite a large amount of information about Joseph. And so we've spent two weeks talking about Joseph. Now, just skimming across this story. Remember, Joseph is hated by his brothers. There's some jealousy there, and there's several reasons for that, but they're jealous of him. They hate him, and so they hatch a plan to sell him into slavery. He is sold into slavery. He is bought by uh, an, a, a guy that's, that's high up in, in Pharaoh's system named Potiphar. Uh, Potiphar, in that household, he operates as a slave, he honors God, he points to God, uh, and God blesses him. And so he, he moves to the head of that household. He has a lot of uh, important responsibility in that household. Yet, even doing the right thing, he's accused falsely by Potiphar's wife. Uh, we know the account. He's accused. Uh, he's placed in jail. And so he is a slave. He does the right thing. He seems to, to do well. And then he's accused falsely and he's placed in jail. Well, the story sort of repeats itself. Once he's in jail, he does the right thing. He honors God. He points to God. He operates with integrity. The Bible says God shows him favor, and he climbs to the top of, of the system in the jail. He's over the inmates in the jail. In that situation, he meets Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker. They are placed there. He interprets dreams for them. Both of them do come true. Uh, the cupbearer is restored to service. The baker is actually hung. And, and the cupbearer goes back to Pharaoh's service, and the Bible says he forgets about Joseph. Joseph, one of the things he says, do not forget me, for sure. And, and that's exactly what happens. He forgets about Joseph. Sometime later, Pharaoh has a dream, actually has two dreams. Uh, he's not able to find an interpretation. Well, guess what? The cupbearer uh, suddenly remi is reminded of Joseph. He tells Pharaoh about Joseph, and he's brought in. He interprets the dreams. This is what we talked about last week. Uh, there's going to be seven years of abundance. There's going to be seven years of drought. 
God gives him a wise plan. In the years of abundance, you're to save. You're to build storehouses. You're to put grain away. And then you're going to be able to endure in the seven years of drought. Now, Pharaoh says, well, who could be wise enough to oversee this? Well, because Joseph brought the interpretation, and they see that he is honored by God. God blesses him. Um, they put him in charge of the plan. And so we end last week. He's in charge of this plan over all of Egypt. In fact, he is the ruler over all of Egypt. When he travels, the Bible says they actually bow down uh, to him as he approaches. So he is ruling over all of Egypt. We see because of that plan, and this is going to move into our verses tonight. We've got a bunch of, uh, of verses to cover. We're not going to read them all, summarize some of it. Because of the plan, there is a great result in Egypt. Not only do they survive, but they actually prosper. They're not just going to just make it through the drought, but they actually prosper. Other countries come and buy grain from them. And so their provision not only feeds them, but it's also adding to their wealth. And so because of God's plan uh, implemented at the hands of Joseph, they're surviving. They're not only surviving, they're thriving and they're prospering in this time. Other countries are coming and buying grain from them. All right. I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 42, verses 2 through 5. Genesis chapter 42, verses 2 through 5. He said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us from that place, so that we may live and not die. It is that dire. Then ten brothers of Joseph went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, I'm afraid that harm may fall him. So the sons of Israel came to buy grain among those who were coming, for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. All right, the, the famine is great. Uh, Jacob says, you know what, we hear of the grain, we're going to send, uh, I'm going to send my sons and we're going to secure grain from Egypt. Um, the younger brother, he's, he's already lost Joseph. Uh, he can't risk Benjamin, his other beloved son. And so he says he's not going to go, and he sends the older brothers. All right, chapter 42, beginning in verse 6. Now Joseph was the ruler over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he disguised himself to them and spoke to them harshly. Can you imagine the scene? And he said to them, where have you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. But Joseph had recognized his brothers, although they did not recognize him. Joseph remembered the dreams which he had had about them. And he said, you are spies. You have come to look at the undefended parts of our land. Then they said to him, no, my Lord, but you're... Servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man, and we are honest men. Your servants are not spies. Yet he said to them, No, but you have come to look at the undefended parts of the land. But they said, Your servants are twelve brothers in all, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no longer alive. Joseph said to them, it is as I said to you, are spies. By this you will be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place 
unless your youngest brother comes here, send one of you that you may go get your brother while, the, while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you. But if not, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So he put them all together in prison for three days. Now Joseph said to them on the third day, do this and live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined in your prison. But as for the rest of you, go carry grain for the famine of your households, and bring your youngest brother to me, so that your words may be verified, and you will not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, Truly we are guilty concerning our brother, because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us, yet we would not listen. Therefore this distress has come upon us. Reuben answered them, saying, Did I not tell you? Do not sin against the boy. And you would not listen. Now comes the reckoning for his blood. They did not know, however, that Joseph understood, for there was an interpreter between them. He turned away from them and wept. But when he returned to them and spoke to them, he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. Then Joseph gave orders to fill the bags with grain, to restore every man's money in his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. And thus it was done for them. Verse 26. So they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed from there. He tells them to go back and return, not to return without Benjamin, the youngest son. Um, as you read the account, you wonder uh, at what point is he just toying with them? At what point does he have a reason for what he's doing? Is he checking their heart? We're going to see this all the way through the account. Uh, it's interesting, they're speaking in their native tongue, thinking he can't understand. He understands, he hears what it is they're saying. Uh, the drought continues in their land, and they have to return. They're going to have to go back. Uh, they promise Jacob that they're going to return with Benjamin. Now, remember Jacob says, uh, he, he doesn't want him to go. I've already lost one, one son. I can't stand it. I'll die if something happens to this son and, and the brothers promise, if we go, we'll bring him back. Our word, the oldest, the oldest brother, if we, if we take him, we'll bring him back. They promise Jacob they will return with Benjamin. They make their way back. Uh, they, they use the grain they have. They make their way back. Uh, once they're there, the Bible tells us they have a great banquet. Uh, same thing, Joseph recognizes them. They do not recognize Joseph. They come in, they have a great meal, a big banquet, uh, as part of that, as they get ready to leave, he hides a silver cup in the sack of the youngest son, Benjamin. He has the, the cup hidden in his sack, and he, and then, and he sends them off. Um, they have a great feast. Benjamin gets to eat five times, the Bible says, what the other brothers got to eat. He sends them off, and his silver cup is hidden in the sack. He lets them get a little bit of a head start, and then he sends his men after him, and they stop him, and they find the, the, the silver cup. He says, how could you have done this to me? I've been gracious to you. And somebody's stolen the silver cup. They find it with Benjamin. Um, he says he's going to have to stay here. He's going to have to be a slave here. And, and the brothers are grieved. And when you read the account, they, are, they know the dad's going to be upset. They know the blame's going to be on them. They are grieved over the prospect of leaving Benjamin there. At that point, 
Joseph comes clean. Uh, he, he, he's really kind of playing with them. He's perpetrating this fraud, acting like uh, he, he doesn't know, but he knows at this point um, he sees their emotion, he sees what they've said, and he, he can't keep it up. I'm going to go to chapter 45. Verses 1 through 4. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried, have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He's overcome with emotion. He can't take it. He has everyone sent out. And he is alone with his brothers when he makes himself known. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Think about that for a second. He, he cries, he wept so loudly that the Egyptians that have been sent out, they hear it. The house of Pharaoh hears it as well. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Verse 4, then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now I want to stop right there for just a second. Very, very profound what has happened Really pretty amazing, the account that has happened, the odds of all this. And I wonder at this point what they're thinking. And so just, just stop for a second and think about the participants here, what they are thinking. Here are the brothers. What are they thinking? It says they were so dismayed they could not speak. And so the, the first thing, they're just shocked. I wonder, think about this. It had been all these years don't you think they probably actually thought he was dead? Maybe he's alive somewhere. Maybe he escaped death. Maybe he's working somewhere. But they probably liked to think he was dead. He died. Somebody, something happened and he didn't survive and he died. So they probably assume he's dead. And if not, they at least like the idea that he's dead. I wonder if they start to panic. Well, now our sins are revealed. Now it becomes evident what we actually did. And so I wonder, hey, I'm, I'm your brother. I wonder if they start to panic. I wonder if part of them was glad. He's alive. He made it. Look at the position he has. Are, are they glad? More than likely, I, I bet, I wonder if they're horrified. Um, our sin is revealed. He is alive. Do they think he's about to kill them? This is what we did to him, and this is what we did to him, and now he's got this position, and now he's talked to us harshly all the way through this. He's probably about to have us put into prison and, and have us killed. Are they sick to their stomach? I really can't imagine, are they glad? Are they sad? Are they happy? What is his demeanor? And so what, what, is, what is what his response, how does that impact them? And I think about him. What did he think? Now, he's known for some time, and so he has a little bit of a head start, he kind of has a lead in, but, but I wonder how happy he is. I'm Joseph. I'm your brother. I wonder if there's any sadness. I can't believe this has happened. 
I can't believe this is, this is what happened to me. I wonder if there's any anger. And I wonder if sometimes if the anger wasn't driving some of the, the weird response he was having. What does he think as he tells him, I am your brother? We see that account, and here they come. I'm going to read the verses. Here, here they come. They make it there. They're delivered. They have the food. Uh, they're, they're going to make it through the drought. We see that account, and we see the immediate situation. Here's what happened. This happened, and then this happened, and then Potiphar's household happened, and the jail happened, and now Pharaoh's put him in charge, and now they've survived the drought, and now they're thriving. We see all these immediate uh, responses and immediate situations. Let me read chapter 45, starting in verse 5. Starting back in verse 4, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Verse 5, Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord over all of his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord over all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall live in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are still five years of famine to come, and you and your household and all that you have will be impoverished. Behold, your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth which is speaking to you. Now you must tell my father all of my splendor in Egypt, and all that, he, all that you have seen, and you must hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. He kissed all his brothers and wept on them, and afterward his brothers talked with him." The account moves forward. He goes home. Uh, Pharaoh blesses them. He sends empty wagons. They go back. Uh, Jacob has a, a, a dream, a vision, and, and God tells him it's okay to go back. They load up and they go. Um, Pharaoh says, give them whatever they want. Take care of them. Bless them. They are saved, and they endure the drought. Five more years, it says they would have been impoverished had they stayed where they were at. They go. God takes care of them. They are blessed. They are saved. That's the immediate situation. Jacob is saved. His kids and his grandkids are saved. The drought's not going to get them. That is the immediate situation. I want to show you something. It's actually way more than that. Going back to Genesis chapter 15, Verses 13 and 14. Now remember, this is all the way back to Abraham. So we're going we're gonna to back up a pretty good chunk all the way back to Abraham. Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 and 14. 
God said to Abram, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. This wasn't unknown to God. He told this to Abraham. They would make their way to Egypt. This is the account of how they got to Egypt. This is part of a much bigger plan. Remember the promise to Abraham to have a land, to be a people, and from that people would come the promised blessing for all people, the Savior, our Messiah, Jesus Christ. Think about each of these accounts, how there's another brick that's stacked, how there's another piece of the foundation that's put into place. You know what? He preserved a family, but you know what he did? He kept the promise that through the family would come Jesus Christ. Through all of these pieces, he's kept the promise of a Savior that would come from a people from a land, the blessing promised to Abraham. I'm going to jump to the end of the count. I, I can do that. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, says this. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Man, what a great understatement the last of that verse is. Listen to that again. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. Now, that's, that's the conclusion of the account. We're going to move on uh, next week. But I want you to think about really the summation of that last verse, that, that chapter 50, verse 20. Think about what we learn. Okay, here's God's revelation of himself to us in his word. Here's God's revelation of his interaction with people. How does he treat people? Here's God's revelation of his salvation, a Messiah. So what do we see in this account? And then how's it summarized in the last, this last verse, chapter 50, verse 20? Think about what we see in that verse. Here's what we see in this verse. God is in control. God is in control. What if it's for years? God is in control. God never loses control. That's a big thing. God never loses control. In that account, he, he never lost control. He was never out of control. Here's something else we see in that verse. God can take evil and wickedness and use it for good. Here's this, what you meant for evil. Here's this terrible act. And God can take that. And from that, there's the salvation of a people. There's a blessing for the people. And there's the preservation of the promise of the coming of Jesus. God can take evilness and wicked deeds and use it for good. Here's something else we see in that verse. God's desire is to preserve many people alive. This present result that many people would be preserved alive. Now I want you to think about, we read that and that sounds so distant, that sounds so far back. I want you to think about tonight. Think about the starting question. Can we trust God? Can you trust God? Now I want you to think about you tonight personally. Can you trust God? What if you get a bad diagnosis? What if there's things that, that cause suffering? 
What if there's things you do not understand? What if there's a change in your career that you didn't seek? What if there's an unknown thing? Can you trust God? Can you trust God? To what extent can you trust God? Can you trust him with big things? Can you trust him with small things? Is he involved in the small things? Can you trust God? Well, here's what I want you to see from our, our lesson tonight. Guess what? He is in control. We need to be reminded, God is in control. Guess what? God is in control. You know what? He doesn't lose control. What if, what if things seem to, to get crazy? What if there's things we do not like? He doesn't lose control. What if the election doesn't go the way we want? He doesn't lose control. What if, what if some great evil act is committed? He doesn't lose control. Here's something else we see. He can take a terrible, even evil, wicked situation and he can use it for good. And so you may be sitting there going, I don't see how this turns out, and I wouldn't have done it this way, and I don't like these things, and this doesn't make any sense to me. Guess what? The Bible says, the Old Testament, New Testament, God can take things evil, wicked, and use them for good. Here's something else we see, and it stays consistent. His desire is still to save. His desire is still to save. This is where I want to bring this to our closing tonight. Guess what we need as sinful people? We need a Savior. We need a Savior. We are hopeless in our sin. We are helpless in our sin. There's nothing we can do for our salvation in our sin. We need a Savior. He has provided our Savior in the person of Jesus. All of these steps are marching to the person of Jesus to the work of Jesus on the cross where he dies for sin, where he's resurrected as the victor. All of these things, that is what this story is. And so in, in this story tonight, guess what we start to see? Jesus. In the promise of tonight, guess what we have? We have Jesus. God still desires to save. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Why did Jesus come? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. Here's, here's what we see tonight. In all matters, we can trust God. Big things, we can trust God. Small things, hard things, we can trust God. But in the biggest matter, the matter of salvation, we can absolutely trust God. He sends our Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask if you'll stand, please. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. I'm glad you're here tonight. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for hope that we have tonight. We're thankful for, for a message of good news tonight. We're thankful for the truth of who you are, that you're faithful, that you're trustworthy, that you're kind, that you're gracious that you're dependable, that you do not change, that you're the same, and that we can, we can fully trust in you. And I'm thankful that all of that ties into our Savior, Jesus, made known in our Savior, Jesus. We need a Savior. You promise a Savior. You deliver in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray first off that those that are here, those that are listening tonight, that we would take peace in who you are, that we would take peace and the promise of the gospel, the forgiveness of sin. And Lord, then I pray as, we, as we've been talking about on Sunday that we would be agents of that peace, that we would know we live in a, in a world that's hurting, that's suffering, that's lost outside of a relationship with Jesus. 
and that we would walk and we would breathe and we would speak and we would witness to the, to the good news of a risen Savior in Jesus. Lord, I pray for the folks here tonight. Bless them, encourage them. Pray for our kids that are learning right now. I pray for a foundation that's being stacked tonight, that it would endure a foundation of the truth. I pray for our other classes meeting tonight, same thing. Pray for our youth right now as they meet. Again, that, that your truth stands and it's stacked upon and a foundation is built in the teaching of your word. Lord, we tell you we love you and we praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Glad y'all are here. You're dismissed.